Hello, and welcome to the New Persian Times, a platform dedicated to all things Iran. I am your host, Andy Alem, but my friends all call me Ayn. My guest for the eighth episode of this podcast is a Persian-British social media influencer by the name of Yunus Sadagiani. A recent video went viral on his Instagram, which was in response to a group of Islamic protesters advocating for Sharia law in the streets of the UK. The video garnered over 4 million views and 40,000 followers. I reshared his video thinking he was Arabic. However, to my surprise, he responded in my DMs saying that he was Persian. After combing through some of his content, I felt that we were aligned on some of the broader issues faced today. So naturally, I invited him on my podcast to dive deeper on the complexities that is Iran. Full disclaimer, all commentary on this platform is completely of the opinion of my own and that of my guests. The sole purpose of this platform is to provide a healthy space where ideas could be articulated without judgment and with the utmost consideration of free speech. We may not all agree, but at least this space is dedicated where we can have a healthy conversation. So with that, I hope you enjoy this episode. So my question to these people is, why did you leave your country to come to the UK if Sharia law is so good? Why did you leave Afghanistan? Why did you leave Pakistan? Why did you leave Sudan or wherever you came from for you to come to the UK to shout Sharia for UK if Sharia law is so good? And you're so dumb, you don't realize the reason why your parents, your grandparents or yourself left your country is because of Sharia law. Name me one country that employs Sharia law that's an advanced country. And you can't use Dubai or Qatar as an excuse because they don't follow Sharia law. I was born and bred in an Islamic country and the reason why I'm in the UK is because I don't want Sharia law. So if you think Sharia law is good, fuck off back to your country. Mm. So yeah, let's get into it. Let's do this. Yeah, so how? So first of all, congratulations on hitting 40,000. Thank you very much. On Instagram, that's a huge milestone. When did you start? When did you start posting videos? So I started posting videos around September last year. And, uh, well, the 40,000, you'd be surprised. I got from pretty much 30K, no, 20K in like a week. So I was on 20K before, and I just literally doubled my following in, in a week ever since that video went viral. So, wow, yeah. So, I mean, it's exponential growth. You just did one or two viral videos, and then all of a sudden your account blows up. Right. And, yeah. That's the thing. But at the same time, you have to learn how to um, ride the wave of the algorithm. Once you have one viral video, it's not enough for you just to have that one viral video. You have to keep making videos about the same thing over and over. And then you get known for that thing. And then people keep watching your videos and then they end up following you. Right. But yeah, so I, I would advise maybe one or two videos per day. 
I haven't uploaded for two days now, but then it's because I've uploaded so much in like 10 days. Mm. I just thought, let me just give it a break for one or two days right. just for people just to digest what I said and have a chance to watch everything. And then again, I uploaded another video today and yeah, just going to do one video per day. But at the same time, I don't want to be known for this guy that bashes Islam all the right. time. Right. So I think I've said everything I need to say about Islam. Like I'm done with it. But at right. the same time, it doesn't mean that Islam doesn't have some parts that is right. Because, you know, my latest video, if you saw it, it was about spirituality. I did. And it's, yeah, and it's to do with like, oh, look, all religions have got it right somehow. But they are just a historical perspective on God, you know? They are not the be-all or end-all or like, oh, we have to follow every single word in the Quran or we have to kill for it. No. Spirituality is just your own personal relation with God. And that's it. You know, you don't have mm -hmm. to kill for it. You don't have to take things literally. You just, you can appreciate the fact that religion is just a perspective. But a smart person has their own perspective on God. You know, you don't need of a course. book telling you, you know. But all I say is understand things metaphorically. But then once you come to the street and shout Shuri for UK, then you've That's been a, brainwashed and you're yeah, not spiritual that, at all no you're That's not and in, in fact in fact you're actually at the behest of the pawns of the people who are trying to like pull the puppet strings you know and yeah um you know and speaking of instagram and your account we just found out today that you're in instagram jail so i do you think yeah. do you think the video that you posted just today had anything to do with it or was it that no, viral I, video or people do you so. think people just, were like I, reporting your account I don't know. I think he said something. It was something to do with the comments I was like replying to people. Mm. And now Instagram is so PC that you can't use swear words in your comments and they can get it taken out of context. Right. So I think the com and I've realized that, you know, once you reach a certain level, you don't even need to reply to people's comments. Because as I was going viral, I was like liking people's comments, replying to people, people that have misunderstood. But now I'm realizing I don't have to reply to anyone. They right. can leave their comments there. They can let it be. And I don't have to reply in any way, shape or form. And it's funny because I had a conversation with two different people. And funnily enough, they're both Iranian. Mm. And what they were like big haters, man. They were just really? leaving like nasty, nasty comments. on the Yeah, yeah they were hating thing. you. No, no, just two of them. Most of them are lovely. So most of them, I received hundreds of messages from Iranians saying, we love your work, this and that. But then there was like these two, one of them was from a fake account. And then I realized it's a, it's an Iranian woman. And then another one was a guy that was leaving like nasty comments. And I go into a dialogue with them in the messages. And then I, funnily enough, I wouldn't say friends, but not, they're not haters anymore. And they rather like me and they removed all their own comments. It's because fundamentally when I spoke about Islam, a lot of people got offended. And it's because they're not rational people. They all if you say something bad about Islam or Muhammad, all of a sudden they're like, no, you can't say that. And because they're not rational, I was like, dude, I'm not attacking your religion. I'm just saying facts that are to do with your religion. And I'm a deeply spiritual person myself. Same. I'm not saying your religion is bad, you know, but I'm saying your religion shouldn't mix with politics. But then the thing is, they wouldn't even watch my entire video. They'll watch the first 10, 15, 20 seconds and they will jump into conclusions, mm. you know. And this is some problem I have with the social media um landscape mentality 
you, you know yeah, yeah. people don't even watch your videos they watch the first 5 10 20 seconds and then they jump into conclusions yeah. and you know i personally like like you long format things where people yeah. speak for 3 hours and i used to do a lot of videos that were very long format videos like 15 20 minutes where i used to explain everything and i realized they're not going viral and i was like you, you know what i have to get with the time so i started producing 90 second videos and obviously it's a double whammy because it's not a double whammy. It's a double-edged sword. So on the one, one side, it can go viral, but then at the same time, you can, get, you can get taken out of context. Right. But then I realized, but I'm proud that I've done the all the long format videos. No, so. you, 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 you definitely, uh, you definitely caught attention. You caught waves and I appreciate the time, you know, and I, and I'm really glad. I hope a, a, a friendship blossoms out of this because I see yes, a lot so, of myself. So. I see a lot of myself in you. Like, it seems we're very aligned in that regard. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, you know, it's it's very interesting seeing how the landscape of uh from geopolitics to psychology to religion, spirituality, or the tectonic plates of every dimension is moving in constant motion. And I think anyone who's spiritually aligned already can see that coming. And mm. you know, it's really more or less about adapting to the changes of this of this landscape and um being iranian uh in the diaspora i feel like if there's any one that could criticize islam it would be us yes. i think we have every authority and we can do it with authority and we can do it justly because we've mm -hmm. seen the negative consequences of totalitarianism that masquerades in the shape of theocracy mm -hmm. and theology um and how they brutalize the people um so i actually had this this guy slide into my dm reacting to um a post that i put about elon musk about saying how dangerous dei was and then he was like brushing it off oh yeah like just because he's a rich millionaire you, we all have to listen to him i'm like no he's saying the truth and then yeah he, exactly he was, he was bashing trump he was bashing uh, Musk, he was bashing Reza, uh, Reza Pahlavi, he was bashing Manoto, because Manoto, I think, if, have you known that Manoto after 50 years? Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. They're finally, they're like closing, um, they're able to, they weren't able to sustain itself, so it's sad, you know? But then, this is the thing, I heard and he, about and he that. Was, and he was bashing this stuff, he was bashing, any, he was bashing pretty much everything that Jordan Peterson talks about, is that he was, re he seemed resentful, he seemed like a hater, anyone who was, yeah. I told him, listen, instead of criticizing and bringing it down, which is such a flaw in our culture, just build something on your own and see how difficult it is and rise above that. It's so easy to sit on, like you're a spectator in the game, bro. Like build something mm. and then see if the market catches. I'd love to see you create a media uh, a media company that connects the diaspora to Iran and make it last for 14 years. And then you're just going to bash it like that. I mean, whether whether you was he Iranian then? The, he, was Iranian, he was Iranian, and he lives in yeah. America, and he's like, you can tell he's like a bitter, resentful person. Yeah, but some of these guys are they are with the regime. You never know. There's a lot of spies, and you know, there's a lot of still Jumpuri Islami people in America. So yeah, I, I felt that as well. Like there's there's some Iranians and just some people in general. Because I made a video about Elon Musk as well, and I just don't understand how anyone can criticize him. The guy is an absolute genius and he's changing the world on many fronts. And for someone just to sit there and say, oh, he's a billionaire and he should pay more tax. I'm like, you don't know what you're talking about. You haven't studied economics, you know? And just because someone is rich, has billions of dollars, it's because he's giving billions of 
dollars of value to the economy. Mm. And his money is just a measurement of his success. And yeah. it doesn't even mean he's got billions of dollars in the bank. He's just got billions of dollars in stocks, right. in assets, things that, you know, it's not liquefied money. So yeah. I just, uh, I find it quite funny how people are so resentful because I, I tell you a story about myself because, you know, I went uh, to London School of Economics and I studied politics and international relations. Oh, nice. And my, my, all my lecturers, they were socialist-minded people. So when I came out of university, I was like a mini socialist and I would say, yeah, tax the rich. And then as soon as, as, soon as I started working in the economy, and there's also two economic laws that I learned, and I'm sure you might know this, it's called the Preto distribution and the iron law. Yeah, 80-20 rule, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So in an, in an economy, not just in an economy, in everything, you know. It's a law of nature. It's, it's a, a law, law of nature, exactly. It's a law of nature, yeah. Exactly. You only have a tiny percentage of people have majority of the things. You have a tiny percentage of football players scoring majority of the goals. Yeah. 20%, 20, 20, yeah, 20% dominates or uh, or dominates the 80%. And and and, yeah. and 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 it's the and it's, everyone thinks that there needs to needs to be a distribution of wealth. The truth is you're in the 80% and what you need to do is climb up to that 20th 20% milestone. Yeah. So yeah, I agree, and and this goes again. All this comes from a lack of knowledge, ignorance, and a misguided worldview. Uh, Jordan, and it's yeah. funny because Jordan Peterson just came out with a video with Ben Shapiro, which is fascinating, and he talked yeah. about how um, how the postmodernists have vilified capitalism in like yeah. And and it's like a, a a meta it's like a it's like a blooming meta a dimensional meta Marxism where you know what Marxism used to just vilify and put the problem of the world on capitalism now it's like capitalism is not even like it it's not even about the wealth anymore it's just about mm. like you don't it's such a mind warp and I don't know if you read like the yeah. the works of Jack Derrida I mean this guy is just completely warped there's no there's no making sense of what he's saying and yeah there's no i mean we can't vilify people we have to be able to reward good work how do you measure mm. success this is all a sigh up to help bring people down so if you have exactly. a god-given talent and your perspective somehow works and it builds a following it threatens those yeah. in and with power so it's exactly very, yeah. And I think it's a control mechanism because I don't know if you saw the speech of Javier Millet, the new Argentinian yeah. president. I love in the world. Yeah, he's amazing. <laughs> he's and so he was cool. given a he was given a speech in the World Economic Forum, and he was saying, "Stop trying to control people because you're trying you're stopping what's actually going to help people prosper." And capitalism and free markets is the best way out of poverty. Yeah. And an effort to stop that will lead to poverty, yeah. right? And now we have these globalists that try to, you know, stick their finger in everything and try to make this global war. And we are, you know, we are in a very special time in history mm -hmm. where I think there is literally a fight between good and evil. I and know. I think one side is going to win and the other side is going to lose. And the one side, there's free markets, there is intellectual people, there is the, you know, the West or the old school liberals. And then on the other side, we have the communists, the Iranian regime, the bitter people, the people that want to control everything. And I really think this is the new World War Three. 
I don't yeah. know if it's going to be militarized or not. I mean, we're on the brink of it now with the whole Israel and Gaza and Iran getting involved in everything. Yeah. But this is our, this is the battle of this generation. And I think for so many years, the socialists and the social justice warriors have been brainwashing people in the West. And people like Putin and Iran are laughing at us oh, yeah. because of these brainwashed people that can't see the difference between a dictatorship regime and say, oh, there is so much racism in the West. We're so oppressed. <laughs> give tax the billionaires because, yeah. you know, they're so evil. No, the billionaires are not evil. They're the ones that give you your iPhone. Yeah. So I don't know what you're talking about, yeah. you know? And it was... And yeah, and and that and that was and that was one thing that this 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 gentleman in my DM kept like complaining about. He was like, uh, practically complaining about the fact that like Elon Musk and his father made his fortune on the backs of slavery. I'm like, dude, as you message me on your iPhone, literally, which was made on. I mean, there's slavery everywhere. Life is full of suffering. Life is suffering. Yeah, save the slaves in Africa now. The ones that are building your iPhone are mining for the batteries for that exactly. metal for your batteries. They use. So yeah, it, it, it's and, crazy. And and we, I hypocrisy. think there is an yeah, there's an hypocrisy, and I think there's a lack of acceptance of understanding that there is an inherent suffering to life. Yeah. And it's about finding meaning in that suffering. Can you ascend to it? Can you ascend to a higher purpose? And one thing I've realized in our culture is that, um, and again, one of the many flaws is that anyone who tries to ascend from that suffering, the, I guess the little minions are very quick to bring them down. Yeah. This and is, I think it all comes down to envy and jealousy the lack of purpose and jealousy that they have and i always say to these people instead of hating try to make something out of yourself why are yeah. you hating you Man, know and it's just on. be caught on again be caught on but they're also this is the thing like sometimes it's very good to take a very hard look in the mirror and say to yourself am i everything that i could be could i be better do I have any envy in me? Do I have any bitterness in me? Do I have any anger in me? And just dealing with yourself, man, mm -hmm. and becoming a better version of yourself. And once once you once you once you set a goal of becoming a better version of yourself, you don't even have time to care about other people yeah, and what true. they're doing. Very you know, true. yeah, because you're so preoccupied with your own improvement and your own life and the things you need to work on mm -hmm. that you don't even have time to think about other people. Exactly. Let alone comment on them or thing. And you just appreciate. And, you know, there's a little gratitude in order because earlier I was watching this girl on some podcast and she was saying, oh, you know, men, they're so bad because every time I go in the street, I feel so scared and feel so attacked. And I was thinking to myself, men built the world. 99% of the things you see around you are built by men. 99% of the hard jobs are done by men. 99% of the police force are men. 90% of the military are men. So literally, 99% of everything you see is built by men. And yet, you have this mentality to complain about men. Like, yeah. there's some have some gratitude. And even, once say, let's say someone attacks you in the street, the only person that's going to get involved to save you is probably another is man. A, is a man. Yeah. Did yeah you, so, 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 so I'm I'm glad you mentioned this because this yeah. fourth wave feminist movement, I feel like yeah. has hijacked a lot of other real social movements and causes. So, uh, you know, especially with the Iran movement, everyone's, you know, jumping to saying that it's a, a gender apartheid, which which you could argue that it is. It definitely is. I mean, I mean, the Islamic Republic is brutal in that regard. Um, mm. But I've I've seen a lot of radical feminists 
in these protests. And as a photographer, videographer, I saw a lot of a, a lot of a, a, a myriad of a lot of different faces mm. and a mosaic of our culture in, mm. in these protests. But though the mm. loudest ones were the radical feminists, Marxists, socialists, mm. and they're just there's a lot of hate and anger in them. And I realized mm. every time I try to, with the best of intentions, do the right thing and try to become like a a force for good in the movement. I was easily mm. vilified and like brushed off, pushed, set aside. Yeah, I don't know if but, that's uh, if it was the same in the UK because that's no, it was one hundred percent the same because there was this okay. girl in the Zanzibari movement and she dressed like a communist. I'm not even joking you. She had this hat. I have a picture of it. I might send it to you. Sure. And then she, I think she was a lesbian. I'm, I'm assuming, but she looked like one because mm -hmm. she had really short hair. And then she had this cap that she was wearing sideways. So basically, the, like dressing like old Soviet Union type, yeah? Mm. And she was the one that was the loudest on the mic all the time, literally. At every single protest, she was there. And then she was just like quite like standoffish with me. I didn't really have a conversation with her, but she was like, I could feel that she's got resentment towards men. And one of the things I didn't like about the Zan Zendigi Azadi movement is like, okay, Mahsa Amini, she died, cool. But it's not just about her. It's about 44 years of oppression that has been a disease and a virus on the Iranian people. And as a matter of fact, majority of the people that lose their lives are men in these protests. Majority of the people that get hanged are men. But I was happy that I was just be making international news. Fine, Mahsa Amini died and may God bless her, right? And all those people have that died. But it wasn't just about that. And I think a lot of people in the West misunderstood that. They thought it was just some movement about some girl dying. And, in a way, they were thinking, oh, why are you just complaining about a girl then? It's not just that one girl. It's the thousands of other men, women, and children that have been killed by this regime for right. just not either wearing the hijab or just protesting or, you know, people getting lashed in parties. You know, you can't have a party. And even me, as when I went to school there, and, you know, the brainwashing they give children. Like, I remember, like, when I was in school, and, you know, Dini, Dini is basically religious studies, right? And we used to have these psychopaths. And I used to go to a private school, right, in Iran, because I came to the UK when I was 13. Mm. And we used to have these psychopaths, and they just talked so much nonsense. Like, one guy used to come up to us when we were, like, around 12, 13. He's like, oh, if you masturbate, God is going to kill you, and he's going to put your balls on fire, and he's going to chop your dick off, and he's going to hang you. And they say the same things to girls. If you don't wear the hijab, Mm. Uh, God is going to hang you by your hair and is, you're going to burn in hell. And imagine saying that to like a 12-year-old kid, right? And this is the type of things they teach in schools, right? And then no wonder so many people grow up and they end up become basiji or they become so mentally ill because these are the type of things they taught them as a kid. And right. they're so scared. They're like, and they when you attack Muhammad. They're like, no, no, you can't attack Muhammad because they're scared they might go to hell. So they're like, oh, no, no, we have to challenge this guy because we want to be the good guys in front of God. Right. You see what I mean? Yeah. And it's all just a mind fuck fundamentally. So, and it's just, yeah. But I think, you know, 80% of the Iranian people are with us. I really do think that. I think it's just the 20% that are still religious. And, you know, there was a new poll that said more than 60% of Iranians don't identify as Muslim anymore. Yeah, I, I heard about this. Yeah. Yeah, Nazar Sanjee Yeah. So so 
I think fundamentally you want to be whatever religion you want, but don't mix religion with politics. And these guys that are running Iran right now, these are not Iranians. These are Arabs, yeah. right? I, they I don't even I care about Iran. They don't care about Iran at all. All yeah. they care about, they call Jumpuri Islami. Okay? And Jumpuri Islami only thinks about Muslims and Shiites all over the world. And that's why they give money to these terrorist groups in Iraq, in Syria, in Lebanon, in Yemen. Why? Because most of them are Shiites and they think about the Muslim brotherhood, you know, the free haters, the axis of, you know, Houthis, Hamas and Hezbollah, right? So they don't care about Iranian people at all. No. I think fundamentally they would not rest and they will not leave until they've literally left Iran in ashes. Into yeah. something, someone does something either from the outside or from the inside. Yeah, the um, the 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 woman I had on my previous podcast was a PhD professor of uh, Middle Eastern Studies at NYU, and she uh, is one of the very few professors who leans more conservative and teaches, mm. educates uh, her students in like the right way when it comes to like the Persian schools. So mm -hmm. uh, she kept she explained to me on my on the last episode where. Uh, the, when the, when they came into power, they didn't want the people. It wasn't about melat, it was about mm. ummat, and there was a mm. stark difference between that was the messaging of the Jumhuriya Islami. It wasn't about like the country; it was about like the theocracy and the religion. Mm -hmm. So, uh, so yeah, the, the, you just remain you you bringing that up just reminded me of that. It's, yeah, uh, it's I, interesting. I think fundamentally, what uh, I think about the revolution is that. In the 1970s, people were still extremely religious and they were still very Khurafati. Yeah. Mm. So they believed that Khomeini is coming from God and they saw his picture in the moon and everyone believed that because Iranians are very Javgir. You know, they hear something and they believe it, you know. Yeah. And Fundamentally, I think what happened was is that they were having such a great time in the 1970s because everyone was having so much money. The inflation was at zero for like 10 years in a row. Yeah. And the in the same time, the wages doubled. So imagine the inflation is here, but your wages double, right? Right. And they were having such a great time. And I think they just, you know, there's an expression in Iranian, so yeah. they were so happy. They were like, oh, but then imagine if Khomeini comes, then we, it's going to be paradise because we already live in having such a good time. So right. they didn't realize that Shah was the real king and the real Imam Zaman in their heads because he, you know, him and his dad transformed Iran. Yeah. You know, from my dad's side of the family, I have some Gajah blood in me. I don't know if you know this, but, mm -hmm. you know, the Gaja dynasty that came before Pahlavi. Mm -hmm. So from my dad's side of the family, because my dad's side of the family is Turk. And we are actually kind of related to Nasruddin Shah and all these people. Oh, cool. So my yeah, so my great grandma was, um, I think, the niece of Nasruddin Shah. So, you know, these, these cups that they have with the picture of some guy on it, that's mm -hmm. Nasruddin Shah. Oh, so wow. I'm actually kind of semi-related to him. So my dad and my granddad traveled Europe like 70 years ago and they went to boarding school and so did my dad. So, But then they used to come to the UK and they say, oh, we don't care about the UK because they offered them British passports. And they said, no, we don't care about this rainy island. So no, in Iran, Iran was so advanced that Iranians 
didn't care about the UK. They said, we don't want to go to that rainy island. The only place they yeah. liked was America, New York and California. Yeah. And maybe France, because France had that class about it. No one liked the British. And I remember this story that my granddad told me, because my other granddad used to work for an American company in electricity. And he said, British used to come to Iran to work, right? And every lunchtime, we used to have gourmet sabzi and we used to have this and that. And the British used to queue up from 11 a.m. just to get gourmet sabzi. And we used to say, what is this office food? We used to go and have cello kebab every... And we used to call them English together hard, like the poor English people. So the Iranians didn't care about Europeans. Europeans used to come to Iran to work. Yeah. yeah. The Italians, the French, the, the English... People used to order clothes from France that used to come straight to them. And everyone could do it. This is the thing. You could be a secretary somewhere, right, on average wage. And you could still wear the best clothes. And, you know, I remember they're saying people used to work for six months and be able to buy a house. Can you imagine? No. You work for six months and you're able to afford a house. That's right? how resource rich the land was. Exactly. Exactly. And... Now people can work all their lives and they're never going to be able to afford a house in Iran. They can literally work all their lives and they still can't be able to afford it. So that's the stark contrast we're looking at. It's uh, it's really sad. So uh, I have I have a I have a similar but different perspective on on the revolution. I feel like the, at the time, at the height of usually a, a civilization, if you look at history, the it collapse. It, it's always it always collapses right at the very peak of the civilization and then it falls. Mm -hmm. So that's it. It happened with the Romans. It happened with ancient Persians. It always, you know, when society reaches its pinnacle, it always immediately drops. Um, so I think the stoicism that Khomeini presented himself out to be because he seemed like a humble man, he almost felt like a spiritual leader in a, in a land where everyone was uh really enamored by success materialistic possessions you know growth mm -hmm. prosperity mm -hmm. it's it's very difficult in the face of all of that uh the beautiful mosaic of wealth that mm -hmm. and that it provides it's very difficult to be humble and i think yeah. when you humble yourself uh to to i guess to to that sort of stuff there's something alluring about that for people who don't who can't who can't uh, accumulate their wealth for themselves so mm. it's it's not it's no surprise where you have a lot of the impoverished community allured by by someone like Khomeini as a figure um mm. you know so and and to have someone challenge the king because i don't think iran i don't think our parents ever imagined that the shah would ever be able to be toppled down mm. but those who those who understand power knows that there's strength in numbers so mm -hmm. they put their bet and their chips behind someone like Khomeini and mm -hmm. like, listen, you know, follow him. Yeah. Yeah. So but fundamentally, I think the Iranian revolution was based on just the price of oil because the Shah increased the price of oil from $4 a barrel to $40 a barrel. Mm -hmm. And that really hurts the British and the Americans because oh, yeah. the world used to run on oil in the 1970s and if you remember there was a fuel crisis in america would, in yeah, the 1970s would, yeah. and especially in the uk and western europe so obviously american leaders and the british couldn't take that so they thought what do we do to topple this guy off 
because because the show was very arrogant towards it and saying no we got we want to be independent we don't want the west to be our grandfather anymore so what do they do they go and find a guy like khomeini that is against the shah mm. that is also an islamic cleric but also let's not forget they were very smart about it because they knew that shah had made iran very liberal you know women could wear whatever they wanted there was nightclubs there was bars there was even you know films with sex scenes on the tv yeah. so they alcohol, knew that alcohol and movies yeah alcohol in movies yeah and they knew that angered a lot of religious minded people within iran so they were like what do we do let's use a figure like khomeini an islamic cleric that is anti shah and we're going to give him money and we're going to sponsor him and we're going to use him as yeah. a basically a chess move to topple yeah. him right Mm-hmm. But then what does Khomeini do? So Khomeini, if you watch his interviews like a month before the revolution, he's saying, no, we don't have any problem with the West. The West is good. No, everything's going to remain the same. Everything's going to be open. No, Islam is religion of peace. And no, everything's going to remain as it is. We're going to give free housing to people. We're going to bring oil and put it on your table and this nice. and that. And then after two weeks, yeah, it took only two weeks, yeah, Khomeini backstabbed the west so he used their money and their resources to get into power but then after two weeks he backstabbed them he went and you know stormed the embassy the u.s embassy Mm -hmm. took hostages and then america was like what have we done yeah for all these years we've been sponsoring a terrorist and now he's going to power he's backstabbed us he's taken hostages and that's what led to the iran iraq war yeah for eight years which nobody won it literally so, so, was a waste so, of time. So go, yeah. so so just to backtrack. So when when America tried to sigh up the the Iranian people with backing Khomeini, apparently there was a a recent video that came out that that apparently the Russians already got were already in Iran before the Americans were able to sponsor Khomeini. Did you hear about this? Yeah. So yeah, the, yeah, yeah. the Russia the Russians were already there because all of this was supposed to be like a you know the cold war of combating marx uh marxism and communism yeah, yeah, yeah. but the russians already yeah. were in iran before, uh, right after you know so so iran being the way that they are they took american resources and yet they you know they were pretty much leaned on the side of russians anyway um yeah so and then fundamentally yeah i think that the iran is just geopolitically very unlucky in terms yeah. of geopolitics. And, and, also, and also what you mentioned this was also a, a cia case study of the blowback that's when they realized mm-hmm. okay this is an you know an incorrect move and there was a whole case study yeah. about like mm-hmm. there was a whole case study on this and they caught they taught they coined the term blowback anytime mm-hmm. you know the these economic hitmen go into foreign countries because mm-hmm. they're worried about this type of stuff but but then yeah, this but goes I, back to our conversation because of envious people there were, the Iranian revolution wasn't just an Islamic revolution. It was a joint revolution between the Marxists and the religious sect. So the left-leaning people and the religious people, so the communists, the Marxists, and the Islamic, they joined forces to make the revolution happen. But then what happened, once, once the revolution happened, by barbarism and literally, literally, so the is- Islamists got into power and then literally they killed all the Marxists. Yeah. So, so anyone after the revolution that was a Marxist or even had Marxist books in their homes, they used to get them and throw them in prison and kill them yeah. or hang them. So you can see 
these guys they don't have mercy on anyone so no. they literally use people they use the americans they use the marxists they will use anyone to get into power once they get into yeah. power they kill everyone off the and that's what parmeni uh, is done you know everyone yeah. does a challenger to him rafsanjani all these other guys that were challenging to him, he killed all of them. I made yeah. it look like an accident. The good so, old bait and switch move. They bait you. Exactly. Like, oh, yeah. Yeah. We're on the same side, my friend. And all of a sudden, yeah. we're looking that way. Boom. This is yeah. this is this is a straight up mafia move, man. This is and, and, yeah. it, goes, and it goes to what you were saying. Uh, by the way, uh, this free trial time limit, it's going to end in a one minute. So as soon as this call ends, I'm going to send you another link. Okay, cool. Uh, um, yeah, sure. Finish recording, though. So we'll, yeah, we'll yeah, no, it's this. it's it's still recording. Um, okay. So so one thing I wanted to say is that what you were mentioning is that truly we're living in a time where it's I think people have awakened to the realities mm -hmm. of a lot of because we're privy to history. We have we have history to look at, and mm. anyone who's some some degree of spiritually enlightened. I don't know if I'm even saying that correctly, but if you are an individual who's spiritually enlightened, you're seeing it with a, a, a clarity, you know, everything mm -hmm. with a lens of clarity and mm -hmm. intentions matter. So, mm -hmm. so much of so much lies, treachery. And I, I, th I just think this year, 2024 is going to be the year of truth. We we can't we're, yeah. we can't be in the shadows anymore. Everything needs to be discussed in the light, and it's time for everything to sh to shift. You know, normally we would have a conversation like this in the privacy of our own homes, but mm. I think I think it speaks to our characters and our spirits that we are soldiers in this war of good mm. and evil. So I uh, I just wanted to like you know acknowledge that, and I just I think that's yeah. really I think it's really really important to have these conversations because. Iran, the, the events of 1979 and everything after that, it was so impactful. It changed the landscape of the way the world is. Yeah. So you have it changed the whole region. It changed everything. All right, so yeah, on. I was thinking the 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 future of Iran because mm. fundamentally I think we're on a brink of World War Three now. Because I don't know if you're following the news, I feel five Sepahi guys died again and they retaliated by killing three American soldiers. Yeah. And Trump said we're on the brink of World War Three because on one side we have Russia invading Ukraine, then we have Iran, and then we have China that might invade Taiwan. And, you know, the whole Israel-Palestine thing was a brilliant chess move by Iran because yeah. they didn't want peace in the Middle East. So what do they do? They go and sponsor Hamas, to do an attack on Israel, for Israel to then retaliate for the whole peace process and Abraham Accords, you know. But then, to be honest with you, uh, Mohammed bin Salman has said, no, Abraham Accords is still on the table, which is good. I really like Mohammed bin Salman. He's me quite too. I really, yeah, he reminds me yeah. so much of, of the Shah trying to modernize Iran. So I really exactly. hope. Yeah. Exactly. And, you know, it's funny because, you know, a lot of my videos are about Islam. But, you know, the leader of Saudi Arabia, which is the home of Islam, is saying we're not going to follow Sharia law and we're not going to follow Islam. You know, they uh, legalized alcohol again after 72 years. And they're saying, no, we don't want Azan every five times a day. But even if they do, it's like one third of the volume. Women can drive. Women couldn't drive until 2018 in Saudi Arabia. So he's making all these changes. So the leader of Saudi Arabia, which is the home of Islam, has realized that Islam and Sharia law doesn't work. And yeah. he might not come and say out directly, but everything he's doing is showing that he's come to this realization. 
And he said it many times himself. He's, he says, we don't want to live in 1,400 years ago. We need to bring Saudi Arabia to the 21st century. And he's absolutely right. Yeah, 100%. I, I just really hope he uh, he learns the lessons from what happened with Iran so he can put he put he can put mm. these religious clerics and these uh, Marxists at bay. It's really unfortunate yeah. because you have a you have a, a big youth that's they're starving for uh, freedom and prosperity and to be able to make a living and it, all of this comes from the top down and mm -hmm. it's it's really sad what Iran has become because I think if you go to Dubai, Iranians are considered like third class citizens unfortunately. We're not exactly in the best spot. This is where we are. You know, this is where we are. So I think one of the best ways to move forward is to orient ourselves on where we are and understand the landscape so we can put our best foot forward in the right direction. So I guess my question to you would be like, where do you think we are? Because I think we have to all, we have to agree on where we are, right? We know that we we're, are. we're stuck. We can't go back. We're, we're in, you're in the UK, I'm in the US, but we, I, I have my own uh, opinion about this, but I'm curious to hear yours. And what do you think the best well, step forward would be? Well, we are ranked 115th in the world, if you just want to put it into statistics, um, which is such a shame for a country that has the second highest oil, oil reserves and the second highest gas reserves. There was a study done by an Australian university that said in normal conditions, Iran should have been in the top five powers in the world. In normal conditions, not even uh, exceptional so in an exceptional position, Iran could have competed with U.S. and China as being one of the biggest economies in the world, right? So in a normal position, we, we could have been fifth, but now we're 115th. So what can we do to change? Because, and look, I've thought about this a lot, and this might sound controversial or brash or whatever, but I don't care. I'm going to speak my mind. In order to for Iran to change some of the heads of state have to be assassinated and killed. I don't see any other way, right? These guys are not going to leave Iran. They don't care about Iran. They don't care about the people of Iran. They would even nuke Iran if they have to. As long as it means they stay in power, they will do whatever it takes in their power to stay in Iran. They don't care, right? So what we need a leader like Trump that killed Soleimani, because when he killed Soleimani, the regime was you know crumbling because they didn't know what to do right and they were in shock and they you know uh rocketed down a passenger airplane thinking it's an american spy plane so in order for regime change we need i don't and i don't mean the war we need a leader like trump that will assassinate and kill heads of states mm. these are people heads of sepa heads of basij maybe even khamenei himself people around him and then that combine that with external sanctions on, you know, military capabilities, on uh, nuclear power, and helping Iranians through rhetoric to have another protest like the ones we saw last year. And I need we need a combination of these three for regime change. We need a kind of a cold war, but not necessarily a cold war. A, a warm war, but only for the heads of state. So I just, for to this day, I don't understand why they haven't rocketed down the nuclear capabilities of Iran. They right. can do that. Yeah. I mean, and I know there's look international law and all these other bullshit that we have with the United Nations. That, oh, you cannot assassinate heads of state and you cannot do this. But sometimes I'm watching Namaz Jom'e with Khamenei and all these guys there, and I'm thinking, what's stopping America just to just 
you know, throw a rocket right in that middle. You know, it's so what, funny you say them? that. I think about yeah. that all the time. You got all, yeah. I mean, you, you look at these faces. They're all together in this one room. All you need yeah. is one drone just to wipe and all your problems will be solved. And what's yeah. stopping them from doing that? And I have a theory. I think mm. that America, Western intelligence and all these agencies have been compromised. I think mm. I think they're they're people that have the tentacles and the hydra of whatever the Islamic Republic is has infiltrated CIA. They have infiltrated FBI, uh, the media. They had their hands in all this stuff to counter counterbalance, I guess, the powers and influences of the West for them to, you know, prevent prevent such a thing from happening. Yeah, but even if they that's try my, to do that, guess. if 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 you're a real leader. Then you see right through it. So say, well, what's stopping us to do that? And even if someone advises you against you, you're saying, no, I don't agree with you. Sorry, boom. You know, so um, I I don't know. But another thing is, is that there's two 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 other possible explanations. One explanation is that America and the West are scared that you know they don't want another ISIS because look what happened to Iraq and when they invaded Iraq, what happened, right? Power back. And look what. And look what happened to Afghanistan. And they're saying, look, as much as we hate Iran, they're at least a relatively stable country. Yeah. Right. So yeah. if we kill all these heads of state, then what what guarantee do we have that we don't have another rebel group like ISIS or someone? But they're mistaken in that because Iranians are not Arabs and they don't have that in their culture. But a lot of people say, well, if that something like that happens in Iran, then all of a sudden Turks want power. All of a sudden, Kurds want power. All of a sudden, Pars want power. All of a sudden, you have Baluch next to Pakistan want power. So because Iran is made up of like four or five different sects, you know, and all of a sudden you have all four or five different groups of people or races, you can say, would want power. And that would completely polarize Iran. So they're probably scared because they do not want another war in the Middle East and they do not want another unstable country in the middle east yeah, right yeah, yeah that's that's one explanation another explanation is that and this is a quite a cynical explanation is that well maybe it's not necessarily against the us or uk interest to have a boogeyman in the middle east and that boogeyman is iran because what can they do they can sell weapons to saudi arabia and say oh you see iran they're they're a threat to you so buy our weapons this is 100 billion worth of weapons to you and all the other countries around that region say oh iran is a threat do you want our weapons yeah sure there you go Mm. So, you know, it's there is many, and I've heard this argument from everyone. And however, I still disagree because even if there is a boogeyman, I still think Iran would be a much bigger benefit to the West if it was a liberal, um, democratic country. Absolutely. So, so I don't buy this all all boogeyman nonsense. But at the same time, I feel like that's part of it. They say, "Well, we can't change it. We might as well make money off them." Right. So, you know. it's that, but I still think a powerful because look, Iran. You know, we have a fuel crisis because of Russia now. Mm-hmm. Imagine how much of that could have been subsidized to Iran. Say, oh, we can't have uh, Russian gas anymore. Let's just go to Iran. Oh, it's good for us. It's good for them, right? But then mm-hmm. Iran is also under sanctions. So, I don't agree with this whole boogeyman theory. I okay. think that a a powerful a Iran, a democratic Iran, a liberal Iran is good for everyone involved. Everyone mm-hmm. in the region and even in the West. Because imagine, look, Iran should have been Dubai times 1,000. Oh, yeah. Just, oh, my God. Just, just Kish alone. Just, you know, the Kish Island should so have been beautiful. better than that. 
Yeah, so Iran has great weather. It's got beaches, one in the south, one in the north. It's got mountains for skiing. It's got amazing culture. It's got amazing food. It's got amazing sites. So it could have been an amazing tourist pool. So imagine if Iran was liberalized, how many tourists, how many businesses, how many billionaires would have come there and invested their money? So just because you can send, spend, you know, sell hundreds of billions of weapons to Saudi Arabia, and they say, oh, well, they, well, they need a boogeyman in the Middle East, and that's the reason because they want to say, but I'm saying, dude, you can make trillions of Iran. If oh, yeah. Iran was liberal and democratic, and yeah. you could work with them instead of billions, you could be making trillions. Yeah. So if yeah. you think that, if America thinks that way, that what well, we want a boogeyman in the Middle East, they're stupid. Yeah. They really are because yeah. they're they're literally shooting themselves in the foot. Yeah. You know, from a capitalistic perspective, Iran is a gold mine. It's it it, yeah. it would be a it would be a rush like like in a way that we've never seen before because you have. Mm -hmm. An entire generation with such potential, and when mm. you unleash that, unleash that potential. God knows what mm. what what beauty and and what technology could, can emerge from that. I mean, you, you could even argue you could take the the superconductor chips factories that are in Taiwan and bring them to Iran, and you could increase yeah. manufacturing on a scale. You can make it like, the Silicon Valley of Middle East because. You you know, and look, per this is how I always say, and I'm biased, but I feel like Persians, are, I've got the best. I look, and by the way, for the audience, my dad, so I'm, I have a quarter Turkish and a quarter Pakistani in me, right? So my mom is half Pakistani, my dad's half Turkish. And out of the three countries, I prefer Iran. I can't lie. Like, Turkey's got amazing culture and amazing sites and everything, but, I, and I, I'm sure Pakistan and India does as well, but Iran is unmatched. Yeah. And I think Persian culture is superior to Arab culture, to Turkish culture, to yeah. Indian culture. It is. And I just think, imagine, like, if Dubai could be what it is now, imagine if Persia was what it could have been. And this is the thing, like, let's say if I'm president one day, I would immediately change the name of Iran to Persia. I love it. For two reasons. For two reasons. The first reason is that I want to get rid of the burden of the past. Because the name Iran went through a lot right mm. and you see exactly the, it agrees <laughs> it's celebrating it's, it's, it it knows yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so so and the second reason is that i think iran just sounds like another arab country right yeah so it sounds too similar to iraq and when i say to people persia they're like oh yeah they, they all of a sudden it gives flashbacks of this amazing empire but when you say iran they're like oh yeah iran okay and yeah. they, they immediately think of like a war-torn country it is so for those two reasons i will completely change the, I, the I, name. I agree you have my vote <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> thank you and i think and then also you see farsi it's not actually farsi it's parsi parsi yeah, and I would say, and I would also like make an amendment in the constitution and say, stop using Arabic words, yeah. especially use Persian words. Like instead of inshallah, say omidvara. Omidvara. You know, yeah. instead of like, you know, durud, you know, things durud. like this. And also, because, you know, Iranians, they had their own um, letters. I mean, it's too late to bring that back now. But, you know, we used to have khatamikhi, which meant... Um, basically with a uh, hammer and thing. Mm. It looks very similar to Chinese. Actually. Right. If you go and look at old Persian letters. And obviously you can't bring that back now because we had a whole dead generation. But with time, I would try to bring elements of that back. Yeah. And, you know, bring back. And I would separate church from state, obviously. But I would have one 
um, if I had to have a religion for the state, it would be Zartosh, it wouldn't be Islam. And obviously, separate church from state, but Zartosh would be the official, uh, you know, religion that we have our, you know, culture based on. So we have no rules, we have Shabi Alda. And if you go and study Zartosh, it's actually an extremely fun religion. It is mm. extremely fun, like, uh, unlike Arabs, where, you know, now for Imam Hussein, we have to, you know, mourn for 40 days out of the year. Zartosh, every two weeks or every single month, there is some celebratory events. Yeah, it's a if celebration of Zartosh, life. It's a, celebration. it's a celebration of life. And, you know, this idea that, oh, they used to worship the... Uh, they used to worship uh, fire. No, they never worshipped fire. Fire was a symbol. All these statues was a symbol. And, you know, when the Arabs conquered Iran, they, you know, old Persia was like, you know, Rome. And when these Arabs invaded Persia, they destroyed all these statues. They destroyed, they burned libraries. And I'm thinking they were so stupid. At least if you're going to invade the country, keep the infrastructure, you yeah. know? They're so dumb. And they, they replaced it with mosques. And yeah, it's such a shame. I even Khamenei was saying, oh, these ancient things, you know, we have to destroy them because a lot of people were beheaded in front of these statues and they used to worship these statues that have no meaning. No, they never worshipped these statues. These statues were a symbol. Yeah. Just like when you go to Rome, you see all these statues. Agreed. They are a symbol. No one's, no one's, no one's worshipping them. Yeah. And it's funny because uh, one last thing, I have a lot of rich, powerful friends and some of them, they work with uh, Jumpri Islami and I know for a fact they do. Okay. And it's not, they don't know that I know, but I know. Because they come, and I tell you why I know, because they come to this country, they, they were born in Iran, and they speak perfect Farsi, and they have this almost Akhundi uh, vibe, you know? Mm. But even though they, they, they traveled the whole world, they went to Dubai, America, everywhere. And, you know, they come up to me and say, Eunice, can you sell us some, like, really ancient things? You have a lot of connections. Can you sell us some ancient things? And I'm like, what ancient things? They're like, oh, yeah, this thing is, like, 4,000 years old. It's from the Chachamanish era. And I'm thinking, how did you get your hands on that? You know? And it's obvious it's the state stole it, and now they're trying to bring it out of Iran and sell it for millions of dollars. So they're literally selling our history. Yeah. Right? They destroyed yeah. our history, and now they're, profiting of it Not so profiting it just it. makes you angry yeah it's i mean well that's that's what evil does right evil yeah, yeah. evil when when yeah. the mind and the spirit uh is yeah. moved in very wicked ways you think of you know you're not thinking about the uh good intentions about preserving mm. righteous uh elements of our past and our culture your your mm. your your spirit has moved to destroy it you you think inwardly in a selfish way instead of a selfless way and um yeah it's it's yeah. it's it's a tragedy. It really is a tragedy when you think about Iran. But I, my my, you know, the messaging of what I've created on this platform, even in the name, I think conditioning marketing is extremely powerful and influential. That's why I named this platform the New Persian Times because I don't want to glorify the past. My eyes are completely focused on the future. And if the mm -hmm. future looks a little bleak, you return to the past, but you look at the good parts of the past. And then you learn yeah. from the parts that were bad, and then you try to step forward in the right direction. Um, believe me, I have. Uh, I think about these things a lot too, and I think the most important thing we can do is just have these conversations. I think it, be, it starts there. It starts with the conversation. It begins yeah. with intent, starts with the conversation, mm -hmm. and then slowly it turns into action. Yeah, and it's quite hypocritical because one of the things that 
these, you know, Islamic clerics or these, you know, revolutionary people claim that, oh, Shah is just stealing from the country. He's making, taking Life. all the wealth from himself, all the wealth from himself. He's so greedy. No, he wasn't. He, he doubled the GDP of a country. Yeah. in 10 years and he yeah. people were rich back then yeah yeah and it just shows you it's all a projection because they themselves are thieves they think the show was a thief as well it's called and re- now it's what a, they're it's, doing it's a yeah. psychological it's i'm sorry to interrupt but it's it's a so, yeah. it's a psychological defense mechanism so so exactly. much so, so much of this so much of the rhetoric of of what they put out can easily be dissected from a psychological perspective. That's why yeah, I love it's Jordan all a projection. Too. It's all yeah. a projection. They always say, "Pay attention to the words people use often." Exactly. You so know, re- so, re- reaction formation is a psycho is an immature psychological defense mechanism, and a perfect example yeah. of that is the is the is the politician who advocates against gay rights, but yet he's closet homosexual himself. So yeah, yeah, literally exactly. that's what they were doing there. You're you're accusing the uh, other people of the crimes that your own committing. Kamala Harris and Joe Biden are doing the same thing. They're weaponizing the justice system. They're pointing the finger at uh, Trump saying, oh, he's weaponizing the justice system to do that. But yet they're guilty of doing that themselves. Yeah, so. exactly. Why are you trying to remove him off the ballot if you're if you're not scared of him? And it's just yeah. all a hypocrisy. And I just don't understand why. I mean, Trump, I think he's going to win on a landslide, but I still he don't is. understand why people elected Biden in 2020. And I, I still have my doubts about that whole election or and the whole mainstream media that led up to it, but it is what it is. Yeah. Yeah. So I've, uh, I could tell you something, but I'll have to tell you after we record. <laughs> so, okay. Okay. It's, uh, yeah. I'll, I'll have to, I'll tell you something, but it's not the public isn't ready for it yet. <laughs> okay. Okay. Cool. But yeah. But it's, yeah, it's just crazy how these people, are literally have been stealing from Iran for the last 44 years. Yeah. They have no value for Persian life because they're not even Persian themselves. They're Arabs. Mm-hmm. They are profiting off Iran. They're filling their own pockets and they're still selling our history. Yeah, They're selling our history and they're doing everything they accuse the Shah of doing. You know, Ahmadinejad, yeah? I know a person very close to me that works for the banks in Iran. And you know how much he scammed out of the Iranian government? Have a guess. How much do you think Ahmadinejad scammed? Probably on the he was in power for what? How many years? Eight years? Eight, yeah, yeah. Eight years. So I guess maybe about I would say in the in the probably in the hundred million mark, like maybe more, no. like, like five hundred million billion. Much more. Sixteen billion dollars he frauded. Sixteen billion dollars. Can you imagine oh, what? Yeah, so he's one of the richest people on the planet. They call it Echtelas in Iran. So he's, he frauded $16 billion. And I know that from a very trusted resource that works for the some of the banks that manages these people's money. And one of the things he done, yeah, and one of the things he done, he was selling, he was selling Iranian antiques. But also, you know, when he was, he even started his fraud when he was the mayor. When he was a mayor of Tehran, yeah, listen to this, about $100 million just went missing. And nobody knew where he went. Just $100 million just out of Tehran's um, funds. And nobody knew. And then once he got, he took it to the next level. So $16 billion he frauded. And Khamenei and his son are worth about 70 or $80 billion, both of them. And they all have offshore accounts in Qatar and Dubai. So just makes you think all these people, they're all billionaires, some of the heads of state of Iran now. And you have all these Aghazadehs that, you know, have some friends, okay? I'm not going to mention who, but I know for a fact. Their dads work for the SEPA. 
and they're driving Ferraris and Lamborghinis and they live in the best houses and they go all around the world living in the best, you know, penthouse suites. And these are just sons of some of the guys that work for SEPA. They're not even the top, top, top ranking people, you know? So it's just corruption pays, corruption pays off, I guess. Yeah, exactly. So they're literally, they're literally stealing. And, you know, at the same time, people in Iran don't have anything to eat. Some people, most people actually now, according to a new latest poll, to a government poll, 60% of the people live under the poverty line, you know, and about an an unofficial, they say up to 90%. Oh, my God. I believe it. So that's what we call crony capitalism. I agree yeah. with that. You know, you shouldn't tax someone like Elon Musk, but you should attack people that are crony capitalists and fraudsters and scammers and people that steal money from the people. These are the people you should go after. So next time you speak to that gentleman that was speaking about Elon Musk, tell him that how much Ahmadinejad stole, yeah. and how much the officials in Iran are stealing from the people are, you know, starving. You know so, what it is? Like they're in the shadows. They don't know about yeah. that stuff. It's kind of like yeah. in the back of everyone's psyche and in the shadows of everyone's psyche because Elon is a is more of like a a celebrity figure. He's mm-hmm. he's like an easy target, and that's the thing about people who are who step into the light. And <clears throat> but you know when you got people like like that level of corruption, I mean that is just sixteen billion. I mean, I what are you gonna do with that? Like you can't. Mm-hmm. The, I mean, it's it's no it's no it's no surprise when the Bible says the meek shall inherit the inherit the earth. I mean, this is just mm-hmm. next level. I th- I really think we're in a spiritual war right now. We mm-hmm. really are in a spiritual war, and everything is slowly uh, unraveling in itself. Oh, God. Mm-hmm. Jesus. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. And look at him. He just he's like a five foot five. I don't want to even disrespect uh, chimpanzees, but it literally looks like an ugly version of a chimpanzee. Yeah, five he does. Five. And he's, I, I can just imagine how he smells, but he's worth $16 billion. So You would think a $16 billion, mm-hmm. where you could afford an Armani suit or something. Yeah, exactly. But that's the whole act. And even when you go into power, you're saying, no, no, I'm so humble. I work for the people. And he used to bring his own food that his wife made him. In a in a in a in a Tupperware, and he wouldn't eat the food that they would. He was like, "No, no, no, it's okay. That's estraf. I don't want to eat your food. It's okay. My wife made me food, and it was all for the cameras, and it was all for manipulation." You wow, know? where is you he know? now? Like, what is where's he? What's I don't he... know. Uh, he's in Iran. He's in Iran. And oh, another thing about Ahmadinejad is that he is now the official from the government, the official person that is speaking against Khamenei. And I just find uh, it hilarious because anyone that speaks against Khamenei goes to jail. But they literally erected him saying, oh, look, no, we have freedom of speech in the country. Look at Ahmadinejad. He's always speaking against uh, Khamenei and always criticizing the government. But it's just, he's just part of them. They're just telling him, okay, just say these things so people think we actually have a democracy in Iran. It's just funny. I mean, so so right now, Khamenei is nearing the end of his life. I mean, the guy's been dying for like forty years, right? But mm. what what would happen if once he goes, like what like what I, where what's the next move? Because like it, to me, it's no surprise, and I said this before in a previous podcast. Like it's no mm. surprise that when uh, Queen Elizabeth passed away, these these protests from Massa people, you know, mustered the courage of actually getting up. I think there's a link between that. But what's going to happen when? He goes. Do you think the people will run to the get get go to the streets again? Um, 
No, he's already trying to replace himself with his son, Mojtaba. Mojtaba Khamenei is in the shadows to be able to replace him. And that's why all these people are, you know, they can't even run for governments. Rad de Salahiyat, they call him. Uh, Rafsanjani uh, died, but Khatami is Rad de Salahiyat. Rad de Salahiyat means they're not suited to serving public anymore. And Khamenei obviously decides that, right? Uh, Rohani, all these people that were a threat to him, he's either killed or he's either got rid of them, saying, oh, you cannot be in the government anymore, right? So now he's trying to put his son, Mojtaba. And nobody even knows Mojtaba. He's never been in government. He's just the son of Khamenei. So mm-hmm. this is the thing. This is how much of a dictatorship it is. You know, like kings, you know, dictatorship queens, kings and queens of the past. Yeah, They used to just bring their sons. So this government is basically a dictatorship as taking the leaf out of every single dictatorship there is. So they're fascists, like Hitler. They are, in a way, communistic, like Stalin. They are, you know, like Louis Eighth. They are, you know, dictatorship type of government where they take money from them, they tax the people and they spend them all on, on themselves. So every single dictatorship we look at in the world or in history, they have a bit of it in Jumpuri Islami. So I think Khamenei is the dictators of dictators, you know? Oh, yeah. And he's 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 been, he, you can just give him credit. He's been studying this stuff, man. He knows how to be a dictator. Yeah. No. And yeah, literally, but this is the thing. It, I'm not sure if the regime is going to change while still he's still in power because he's been there for a long time. But I then maybe think his son wouldn't have his brutality or his intelligence or just his influence. You don't know. He's been training under the, under his father for a long time. So, but as I said, these people need to get annihilated and cancelled out. So you either have to kill them or you have to cancel them out somehow. They're not going to leave. Okay, I just got the the notification for the ten minute mark because it's gonna it, it's every thirty minutes. I really, I really, really am enjoying this conversation. I could really talk about this shit for like hours. Mm-hmm. Um, but I want to segue into the influence of of Islam and how it's permeated the West in a way. And do you feel like do people and residents of the UK uh, feel like? Islam as a real problem and a real threat to the democracy and also that bomb threat with Iran International. I mean, that was also a a hit by the Islamic Republic. Has that influenced anything? Has the policy changes made against that? Because I know IRGC is still not on the terrorist list. Um, I mean, what could you tell me about like UK landscape of what's going on right now? Well, I'm really proud that Britain had Brexit. And I think Brexit was an amazing chess pool. And the reason is this immigration, mass immigration. Everyone from Africa, from Eastern Europe, and from the Middle East and Far East, you name it, they were pouring into Western Europe, right? A lot of them Muslim, okay? And what does that lead to? A, you didn't have, because I, I, I grew up in this country, and I could see like, First of all, there was way too many people. Like London was so busy. Like the traffic was insane. The tube was filled. And you could see all these and you could feel like, am I in London? Like you would go in the street and you would say, you would see Somalis from Africa and you would see Arabs and Iraqis and Syrians and Afghanis and Pakistanis and Indians. And you're like, where's all the white people? Where's all the, you know, and they were all wearing the headscarf. And I was thinking, 
this is not okay. And you people might say, oh, this is a racist thing to say, but I don't think so. In for a country to thrive, you need healthy immigration, not unhealthy immigration. You can't just take everyone from war-torn countries, third world countries, and bring it to your country and expect them just to adapt and be normal. Because once you bring immigrants from war-torn countries, you can't really lift them up, but they can lift you down. And that's a lesson of life. Right. You can't really lift other people up, but they can lift you down. So always be careful who you um, connect with. And, you know, you either have to go for people that are on the same level as you or slightly above you. Never go for people that are below you. And that rule applies in immigration. I'm more than happy to have immigrants from all over the world, as long as they can contribute something and as long as they believe in the British values. Right. Okay. I feel like I feel like Iranian. uh, Just just uh, sorry to interrupt. Mm. But I feel like out of all of the immigrants in the diaspora, Iranians, I feel like have assimilated the best in their yes in their respective diaspora communities. They're the second highest um, earning demographic in America. Yeah. After the Jews, Persians are the second highest earning demographic. So. Yeah, Persians have done great. And, you know, Persians are always very popular, even in the UK. Everywhere you go, every party you go, every place you go, and you see there's an Iranian guy, like, there, and he's usually the most popular or the most powerful, or he's got the business. Because but Iranians, because they integrate so well, sometimes you wouldn't even know that they're Iranians. Right. You know? Yeah. But, so, back to the point. So, you see a lot of Muslims coming, and I was thinking, why are we taking these people? Like, why are we taking these people? There's no reason. They come, they're not going to contribute, right? But, and they all come with this war-torn mentality, with this third world mentality, and some of them end up becoming terrorists. And I always found this staggering because they come to this country, they go on the welfare program, they get free housing, they get all these things that they don't have in their own country, and they still want to become terrorists. Like, for me, the ungratefulness is just staggering. Right. You know? And I was like, I don't want these people here. Right. I don't want them. Because if I hate a country and if I want Sharia law, go back to the country you came from. Exactly. You literally, you literally came here either by boat or even if you came by a plane, you took a lot of hardship or anything, and you still come to this country and you say Sharia for the UK. Yeah. And I just don't understand it. And I think the UK government should have been a lot firmer from the beginning to kick these people out. I'm not saying all Muslims, right? But most Muslims that are liberal, they cherry pick the Quran. Let's keep it real. Yeah. They cherry pick the Quran. They 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 look at the positives and they ignore the negatives. But yeah. real Muslims end up becoming terrorists. Okay. Yeah. And that's why we have there's no country in history or even current day that has followed Islam that has been successful. No country. Yeah. And usually it leads to terrorist organizations, ISIS, Boko Haram, Taliban, Iran, you name it, you know. These people think they're following the real Islam. So there's yeah. something fundamentally flawed with the ideology. That doesn't mean every Muslim is bad. Right. There's a lot of tolerant Muslims. There's a lot of good Muslims. I'm sure there's Muslims that work very hard, but they cherry pick the Quran. Yeah. They really hope- do cherry pick it. They do. Yeah. They do. And and my my uh my perspective and I guess my issue with and it's and it goes it expand expands beyond Islam. It, it could even go into the the Jewish and the Catholic, and mm-hmm. I just don't understand why they can't check themselves. 
where where are all because i know a lot of good muslims but i don't know why they lean or they get susceptible to the propaganda of their own cause it's like bad it's like it's like where are the good cops that check the bad cops you know like me as an iranian or as a persian and, and I, should, I i really say this if i see another persian or iranian that's in the wrong i will challenge them i will check them and i'm mm. on and i can i have the authority to do that because we're of the same you know mm. i i it it would look bad it, it it doesn't it doesn't look good for our culture if we don't check ourselves so i don't mm. understand where are the other muslims that aren't that like well, they're not checking the themselves thing. This is the thing. I feel like fundamentally... Father, we have two minutes, when, by the way. Yeah, yeah. When you bring people from third world countries, they will turn your state into a third world country. Yeah. Just to put it very simplistically, right? Yeah. And a lot of these guys are Muslims, but also you have to look at the doctrine of Islam and the culture that Islam creates. I don't think the culture that Islam creates is a good culture. It has never been good, ever. In no history, even the golden age of Islam was the golden age of Islam because Islam mixed with Persian culture. Yeah, we yeah. dilute. We so, you could argue that we diluted it, but uh, can you elaborate exactly. on like what what was the cult? Like what like give me like one example of what do you think like the cultural references that you think is a it's negative. just the, the the subjugating of women, the the you know the limiting freedom of speech, subjugating women. Islam comes from just to submit, you know. And I'm not racist. I don't see race. I'm colorblind. But one thing I do see is culture. And I don't only have problem with Islamic culture. I feel like there's some countries, and I'm not going to name names, but there is, look, there's good ideas and bad ideas. Yeah. And I think in a thriving society, we need the best ideas from the best cultures all at the same time. And we should speak against those cultures and bad ideas and not let them mix with our society. Agree. That's great. It's going to end in like 30 seconds. But do okay. you want to continue this for another round, another 30 seconds? No, I, I mean, I mean, that's it, really. I don't really know what else to talk about. But I think All it was right. good. I feel like we can get a lot of clips out of this. Me too. All right? I agree too. But listen, uh, if it goes, I'll, I'm going to bed. Well, sure. All right. Bye. 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 B